Trainingport.net presents Business Aviation Training Report. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Training Report, a monthly survey of events in the business aviation world. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. This podcast is produced by the leader in online training for business aviation, trainingport.net. We link the business aviation news of the day with the training needs of business operators, management, their support staff, maintainers, and pilots. We want to discuss topics that are important to business aviation professionals. So please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Today's podcast is about ADSB or Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast. The FAA has issued a new rule contained in Title 14 of the Code of Federal Regulations, Part 91. This rule requires ADSB out performance when operating in designated classes of airspace within the U.S. National Airspace System, effective January 1st, 2020. Australia already requires ADSB for operations at or above flight level 290. In Hong Kong, ADSB is required for all operations at or above flight level 290 on certain airways. In Europe, ADSB will be required after June 7, 2020 for aircraft over 5,700 kilograms and flying faster than 250 knots and on an IFR flight plan. There will be some exemptions for older aircraft in Europe. Mexico has ADSB rules starting January 1st, 2020 as well. I'll touch on a few subjects. ADSB in, ADSB out, ADSB NRA, which is non-radar. I'll talk a bit about system operation, failures, and flight planning. Also, emergency operations and phraseology are required training elements for ADSB. There are others, so speak with your training provider. Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, or ADSB, is an automatic data link that provides transponder and other information through ground stations and satellites to other aircraft equipped with ADSB in. ADSB is a surveillance system that relies on aircraft broadcasting their identity, position, and other information to air traffic control. This signal can be captured for surveillance purposes on the ground or onboard other aircraft or vehicles equipped with ADSB in. ADSB can greatly improve situational awareness. Most surveillance systems today use radar to track aircraft. ADSB is less expensive to deploy and maintain than radar and provides reporting capability where radar is not available, such as oceanic areas. ADSB also provides air traffic controllers with real-time position information that is more accurate than the information provided by radar-based systems. Because of this, ATC is able to position and separate aircraft with improved precision and timing. What is the difference between ADSB in and ADSB out? ADSB in versus ADSB out can be considered with reference to the aircraft itself. So ADSB out is the transmission of ADSB information from an aircraft, and ADSB in is the receiving of ADSB information by the aircraft. ADSB out is the requirement of the new rule in the US. ADSB out allows aircraft to continuously broadcast data to other aircraft equipped with ADSB in. ADSB out also broadcasts to a network of ground stations that relay the data to ATC. 
data transmitted by an ADSB out system could include aircraft horizontal position, horizontal position quality indicators, barometric altitude, aircraft identification, a unique ICAO 24-bit aircraft address, version number, emergency status, and a special position indicator, or SPI. Okay, let's talk a bit more about ADSB-IN. ADSB-IN capability requires a receiver, a processing system, and a cockpit display of traffic information, or CDTI. The ADSB-IN system can interpret ADSB-OUT broadcasts and display traffic and graphical weather information on the display. ADSB traffic information is advisory in nature. It is provided only to enhance situational awareness. So ADSB traffic information should not be relied upon to make evasive maneuvers in IMC. ADSB broadcast services include Traffic Information Broadcast Service, or TISB, and Flight Information Broadcast Service, or FISB. What is ADSB NRA, or non-radar area? The ADSB NRA application is intended to support ATS in the en route and terminal environment in areas where radar surveillance does not exist. Procedures used by ATC for providing separation in non-radar areas is time-consuming and inefficient. In areas where radar coverage is not feasible or economically justified, ADSB NRA can benefit capacity, efficiency, and safety. ADSB NRA separation minima can be less than that of current non-radar airspace, and alerting services can be enhanced by more accurate information on the latest position of aircraft. Okay, let's talk operations. The aircraft identification is inputted into the ADSB transmit system. This can be accomplished by the FMS, a pilot control panel, or is most likely programmed into the equipment during installation. A shout out to the NBAA website, which always has great information. The NBAA describes a scenario where a crew is planning a trip in the U.S. The FAA has an ADSB Service Availability Prediction Tool, or SAPT, that anticipates the ability of an aircraft to meet the requirements of Section 92-227 during a particular flight. The prediction tool is designed to be used not more than 24 hours prior to the planned departure. Let's say the crew confirms that ADSB will be available for the trip, but later determines by NOTAM that service may be interrupted. The operator is responsible for selecting another route or another means to ensure ADSB service on their trip. This example is specific to the U.S., so check your regional documentation for differences. Okay, let's talk about ADSB functionality. What are the procedures for your aircraft with regards to flight crew input of required ADSB data? As always, refer to your specific manual. There are a multitude of possible ADSB message elements. However, as an example, the Code of Federal Regulations section 91-227 requires that the pilot must enter information for message elements listed in paragraphs D7 through D10 of this section during the appropriate phase of flight. 7 through 10 are the following. An indication of the Mode 3A transponder code specified by ATC, an indication of the aircraft's call sign that is submitted on the flight plan, an indication if the flight crew has identified an emergency 
radio communication failure or unlawful interference, and an indication of the aircraft's ident to ATC. So transponder code, call sign, emergency status, and an ident for the US. If the ADSB avionics system design does not allow for a single point of entry for required information, the applicable manual should be consulted to ensure correct data is present. The bottom line is that conflicting aircraft identification information must not be transmitted to ATC. Also, if more than one ADSB transmit system is installed, simultaneous operation of both systems must be prevented. Let's talk ADSB failures. Due to the fact that the ADSB system is automatic and mostly functions without input from the flight crew, there may be limited indication of an ADSB failure. Mode S transponders with ADSB functionality may indicate a failure such as loss of transponder or ADSB functionality. However, be aware that input failures such as loss of position source, such as a GPS or GNSS failure, may use the same failure indication. Therefore, it may be a challenge to determine what has actually failed. Solid system knowledge is important, as always. Here's an example. Operating in ADSB required airspace, your left side GPS becomes invalid. The transponder is set to 1 or A, meaning the left side transponder is providing information. There may be an associated alert in your aircraft avionics or checklist, but if there is not, ensure that the transponder selector is positioned to the side with a valid GPS. This will ensure correct location services to the ADS system. As always, refer to your specific manufacturer information to ensure familiarity with device failures and function failures, as well as with the implications and procedures associated with each failure type. Can you fly with a transponder or ADSB component unserviceable? Have a look at your MEL guidance concerning non-functioning ADSB equipment. How does ATC know if you have ADSB installed? Basically, two words: flight plan. Air traffic systems use REG or reg slash and code slash in field 18 of the ICAO flight plan form to uniquely identify an aircraft and associate it with related capabilities filed in item 10. The registration mark of the aircraft should be filed in item 18. An example is reg slash November 2567 Golf Alpha, as well as the aircraft address, which is a six character code. An example is code slash alpha 1529 Delta. The FAA's info 15015 has some good information on this. In item 10 of the ICAO flight plan form, Following the nav suffix, indicate which ADSB capability is installed on your aircraft by selecting the correct codes. Possibilities can include ADSB with dedicated 1090 MHz installations, UAT, and VDL mode 4. Determine from your aircraft flight manual or applicable supplement which coding is appropriate. Also, the FAA requests in their advisory circular that in the remarks section of the flight plan include the code ADSB. There is ADSB specific phraseology. ADSB phraseology has developed as the technology itself has developed. ICAO has added the following standard phraseology to DOC 4444 Procedures for Air Navigation Services or PANS 
to be used by air traffic controllers. Re-enter aircraft identification. Transmit ADSB ident. Stop ADSB transmission. Transmit ADSB altitude. Stop ADSB altitude transmission. Each aircraft installation is different, so ensure that you are capable of complying with the above requests by referring to your aircraft manual. Refer to state documents as well for any regional ADSB specific phraseology. Australia and Canada have their own phraseology. Let's talk about surveillance incidents and emergencies. The ADSB system can send emergency codes as required, for example, 7500, 7600, and 7700. The discrete emergency code transmission is entered in the transponder, the same as the transponder without ADSB capability. ADSB state or country procedures may also include the requirement to report surveillance incidents. Reporting methods can differ from country to country, so check what steps are required in the event of a surveillance incident. I won't get into it today, but regulators may require training regarding the human-machine interface with respect to ADSB. Human factors should always be considered with the use of any automation to speak with your training provider. So to summarize, depending on your regulator, training requirements may include operating procedures, MEL procedures, ADSB-specific phraseology, specific systems knowledge, limitations, flight planning procedures and codes, the use of ADSB during emergency procedures, data source errors, an example could be a position error due to a GPS failure, incident reporting procedures, CRM, and the human-machine interface, and dependencies of other systems such as GPS and the flight management system and the consequences of their failures on the ADSB system. Okay, aviation professionals, let's change gears for a moment. In the news is a segment of the podcast where I talk about other happenings in aviation. I received some feedback about the location of the In the News segment in the podcast, so this episode has the segment at the end. Just last week, while flying at flight level 380 in the southern U.S., my flying partner and I were discussing unrelated topics when ATC came on the radio notifying us of an aircraft climbing towards us and cleared to flight level 370 as an advisory only. Before the controller could finish his traffic description, our TCAS started talking. Traffic, yellow-filled box on the ND, climb, climb. Without hesitation, the flying pilot disconnected the autopilot and autothrottle and climbed out of the red box displayed on the PFD. The non-flying pilot monitored the flying pilot and called ATC, saying we were in a TCAS climb. Adjust climb was the next instruction we heard, and then clear of conflict. The flying pilot hand flew a short descent back to 380 from 385, engaged the autopilot and autothrottle, rebuilt the flight mode enunciator, and monitored the level off at 380. After we called level, the controller verified we had had an RA. The other aircraft flew past and was cleared to a, a higher altitude. We debriefed the event that moment and continued on. I hadn't experienced an RA in more than seven years, and it's interesting how one's training kicks in automatically. Learn more about ACAS TCAS procedures and training at the trainingport.net website. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I'll put links in the show notes to the relevant advisory circulars. You can also go to the trainingport.net website for more information on ADSB training. 
Have a great day and thanks for listening. That's our podcast for today. Podcast notes will be posted on our blog at trainingport.net slash podcast. We aim to discuss topics that are relevant to business aviation professionals, and we would love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts. You can email us at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. This podcast is brought to you by trainingport.net, leader in online business aviation training. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. Have a great day and thank you for listening to Business Aviation Training Report. For more information on each episode, visit us at www.trainingport.net slash podcast. Trainingport.net, helping business aviation professionals excel.